0: Hey, Chris here. Just letting you know this same episode is available for free on Spotify, but it will also include songs or clips of music. It's only available that way on Spotify right now due to licensing. Just wanted to let you know, and thanks again for listening to Through the Never. Hey, this is Chris and welcome to through the never today. I want to do a concert review for Metallica's S two event. This is the second time they've recorded a live show with the symphony and, um, was re- recently released, uh, in a video format for us to enjoy. And I want to talk about that and, and kind of compare it to the, the original S one. And, uh, just kind of break it down and, and discuss the, the audio and the, the video, how, it, how it looked as if, um, as a concert review that I would have gone to in person because, uh, in COVID times, this is, this is what we got to work with. So in, uh, and just to explain S and M is symphony plus Metallica. The original live album was in 1991, I'm sorry, 1999, this one was recorded at a live performance in 2019, both of them in San Francisco. SM one was a collaboration with Michael Kamen and the San Francisco symphony orchestra. Michael Kamen suffered from MS later in life and passed, uh, with a heart attack in 2003 at age 55. He had done numerous works and movies and collaborations, including the wall with Pink Floyd. So, uh, really, uh, really well-known guy, really accomplished conductor and uh so but he was not he, he was not able to participate in this. So SNM 2 was also a 20th anniversary celebration of the first event. This time it was conducted primarily by Edwin Outwater and Michael Tilson Thomas assisting in part. So this also marked the grand opening of the new Chase Center in San Francisco. Both of those conductors have history working with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. So They've been involved with them at, at different times. SM2 was released theatrically last October 2019 and earned over 1.2 million in the US and 5.5 million worldwide, making it the highest-grossing rock cinema film ever. The live album was really recently released um, in late 2020. The Blu-ray release included includes a new revised version edited with the audio that was edited by the band, remixed and remastered, which is what I just finished watching with my friend Mitch, who is returning to uh, talk about this SNM2 experience with me. Thanks for coming back.
1: No problem. Third time's a charm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> also first uh first double offender and first three Pete. Um, pleasure as to be guest. here. Glad to be here. So happy to be here. My early memory of watching the first S&M was together. Does that sound right?
1: I think so. I, I think we heard the album first before we watched maybe, it. Maybe so. I have real strong Christmas vibes to that first one. When I hear it, it just reminds me of it because I remember getting it right around that time. I think it yeah. came out in December when I picked it up at Best Buy. And um, I know it by heart like all the way through. And this one was something to behold.
0: I have a similar memory but i i remember i remember watching it together i don't remember where you lived at I the time but yeah but I, I remember watching it together i don't maybe that wasn't the first watch i don't, but
1: yeah i don't think we watched it until much later we were more familiar with the album
0: okay maybe and,
1: so yeah until because it wasn't really released as like this one was this one was actually in theaters and the other one no, I doubt it. No, yeah.
0: but it was a big deal at the time because it wasn't something that was regularly done with rock bands. Yeah. There had been a couple of bands attempt it. I want to say even Guns N' Roses at one time tried to do that, mm-hmm. and it, it just didn't work great. And for a band as heavy as Metallica, it was kind of bizarre, and I remember when I first heard the idea, I thought that was insane, and obviously I'd have to check it out as a fan. Um, and I was really excited about how it came together they weren't
1: the first to do it right i'm not Uh, saying the first no no yeah but it was it was a thing a a lot of rock bands did something with um with orchestras and uh before metallica came along but well that was the first one that i had i think did zeppelin do something
0: i think a lot of bands had done it with small small orchestral accompaniment you know like four or five pieces or so not full orchestral performances like that with a full symphony right. and a whole event. I don't think there's been that many that's done that. Well,
1: since S&M, there's been a lot of other copycats trying to do it. Like uh, one of my favorite bands, 311, I mentioned to you, they did it, and it was awful because not every band, I think, it, it's it can it, not every band mixes to that that well, style very well, and, and Metallica is orchestral. Is that the right word? Uh, no, anyway. I, well, I... They, ha- they have a that very... That type
0: of metal has a classic influence. Yes. So it does translate well. The The issue that a band like Metallica has, especially with the older material, is that it's so fast. And I mean, not, there's classical pieces that are really fast too. But you have to be careful how you add more to it without it taking away some of the things that it needs to emphasize. So right. you have to carefully do it. And I, and I feel like Michael Kamen understood that and i feel like uh so did outwater on the
1: yeah yeah on, michael came in as we said when we started watching it uh he was very serious and very um statuesque just very um it seemed like it seemed like a uh black tie affair you know it really did the first one but this guy seemed like a real fan i mean he was rocking out with the band right. a lot of it you know and
0: he came across as an enthusiastic fan fifth member of the yeah, band Yeah. where Michael came in, I think with his, uh, larger background. Maybe, and I'm only saying that based on his age, really. Um, not saying that he's more accomplished at the same age. Michael. I'm just saying he had more experience in a way. So I think that he came in with a very serious, classically, you know, trained and focused, uh, kind of way he presented himself. Yeah, And came, this guy came in and was like, this is time to, be like a classical rock star.
1: Yeah, Cayman's Cayman seemed like uh, a director, and uh, this guy seemed more like a, um, a special appearance, like a guest star, like another member of the band.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. I um, were you surprised to hear those numbers about the theatrical release?
1: Yes, I was. I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't. I, I didn't drop a knowledge on me out of the blue. I'm, that's amazing!
0: I didn't highest wow. pressing rock cinema film ever. Now, <laughs> now this is just per one source online, so you know it could be fact checked further. I guess. I um, also want to note that we we literally just finished watching. Yeah, just filmed. Yeah, we. So this is all kind of a reaction, so to speak, uh, right after. Also, I wanted a, a side note here, and uh, we kind of talked about it in passing um, before we started watching the film. But it was only three weeks after this show was, after this actual performance happened, that James, the singer, James Hetfield, returned to rehab. And he stated in an interview um, post-rehab that he was in a rough place during that performance. He was glad that they did it. And I think he pulled it off fine.
1: Oh, God. But just
0: knowing that he was in a bad place um, kind of in that time period... And, and, and I mean, we were talking about, in some points, his vocals were really great. He was
1: really on point. So, he was, that was one of the best performances I've seen from just, him.
0: Just knowing that, uh, I mean, more respect to him, that, that yeah. you know, he can, with what he was dealing with, still pull off a performance like that. And I'm glad he has had time to go and get the help he needed and
1: and I'm sure we'll get the you know if we talk about the various uh tracks in the yeah, that they there. go through but um it, it seemed of an intimate experience with him too it seemed like a more um a spiritual intimate experience with James Hatfield because I hadn't seen him ever just stand at the mic without a guitar you know and yeah. and and sing and, was, and he really yeah I felt he nailed that and as we had discussed, you know, sometimes some people give James Hetfield um, some slack on the way he sings, and they they, they just might not get it, you know, um, his his style or anything that gets really really popular. People start to rag on it a little bit, um, but if you do are into Metallica and you are you do get his sound and how he sings and why he sings, there's a purpose behind it, and it. Worked very well in this And knowing what you just said I didn't know that going in That he was really dealing with things um, You know That just holds a lot more weight Into what he did
0: You never know What people are dealing with You know So it's It's crazy what Some of these Frontmen In bands Can juggle All at one time I've seen guys
1: Symphonies sing... make you want to drink man <laughs> I mean, I, I want to drink right now.
0: I've you know, I've seen guys sing some stuff that sounded super hard to do and then play this melodic kind of lead type stuff on guitar at the same time and you know, you know, they're not looking where they're playing, they're focused on the crowd and they're doing they're they're connecting with their eyes with people and they're singing and they're playing their instrument. Um it's just it's stuff that very few people can multitask in that way and then to be dealing with some other personal battle at the same time it's it's uh crazy what some people can do
1: it also helps to be metallica too um and having people singing your songs that you wrote so many years ago Mm. you know a whole stadium like that belting them back at you and i mean you know
0: a group with that kind of road experience too i mean they should the be confidence. Able to, they should be able to play all that with their eyes closed anyway. Right. You know?
1: But it's still, this is new for them, you know? It's not just, it's not like just another show for them. No, and... This is a special thing.
0: Speak. You know...
1: Special experience for them, too.
0: Speaking of stuff that's new, I mean, they've long been doing concerts in the round, but the... Symphony performance last time was not.
1: No, it wasn't.
0: So this one was in the round and that was the first thing that we noticed, you know, when it started was, wow, this is this is their typical setup. The where...
1: first one was like a performance hall setting. Right. Yeah, and this is this was definitely a stadium. I,
0: I I think I don't know if the first one was at the Fillmore, but it was at one of those classic right. big venues yeah. in San Francisco. Now this was uh like I said it in the beginning there, it is it was the debut, you know, it was the grand opening uh for the new chase center in san francisco and so that had more of an arena look and so um if you haven't been to a concert like we're calling in the round it basically is a central setup in the center in more of a circular design where the audience is completely around uh, the band
1: so they surround the band.
0: Yeah, so they're they're in the middle, and a lot of times at a Metallica show, they will have a stage that kind of rotates a bit. So, and then they'll have the g- guys with the guitars are all wireless, and they'll run around and use different microphones set up at different places, and all their other uh, well, I won't say all, but most of their other effects and and s- switches and and pedals are done. Um, off stage by a technician, so they're free to kind of roam around and just focus on playing and getting to a mic and, and interacting with the crowd. So it's yeah. it's a really cool design.
1: Have you ever played in the round before?
0: I've never played a show that way. You've I, done a have done You've done, done, a, a, play. Shows. Yeah, you've done a play that way.
1: I've acted in the round and I've, and and without, and it's much more of a skydiving act because you feel the backstage. You know behind you where behind you is. If you have everyone around you surrounded um like you were saying you're making eye contact you're playing your instruments you're singing too but you're also making eye contact to people who are looking at the back of your head you know so you're walking away from the mic you're turning you're entertaining people over there and then over here and then you're switching from mic to mic it's a lot you don't have that um i mean for someone that deals with anxiety like i do and still gets out on stage it's more of a skydiving act cuz you don't have a place to that you know is there to retreat to you don't have a Backstage, that you can just, of course, their backstage is like below them, but you know what I mean. You, yes. Yeah. It's it's much more of yes. a. Yeah.
0: Um. In case you missed Mitch's previous appearances mm-hmm. on the show, he has a background in acting. So when he's talking about those performances, they're uh, plays and musicals and film that sort of thing. So, um, I believe I went to one of yours performances that was in the round in, in college. Does that sound right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I just yeah, wanted it to... It is you. Yeah. Um, now, as far as concerts in the round, most of the ones I've been to have been Metallica shows. Garth Brooks also plays in the round a lot. So I've, I've, I've been to one of those shows.
1: Well, they do that lazy thing too, where they'll play in a stadium. And instead of doing the round, they'll just stick the, the stage at the Back of the sta- of the stadium, you know, and they'll have they'll have a stage where they can come and walk out, but they still have that backstage feeling, uh, where they they just push it against that that wall instead of having the the backstage really being below them, you know. And I think that's a big significant difference between playing in the round.
0: You're talking about like Garth Brooks is yeah, kind Garth, of on the end well, still, Garth, but he's Garth not Brooks, all the way. When I've seen
1: him, he he was yeah he's he's all the way on the end. And uh, Bon Jovi did that. A lot of people that I see at Bridgestone. Come that way. Uh, it's cheaper. It's much cheaper to do that. than set up in the. I I've worked for a company that would take down stages for shows at Bridgestone and set them up here locally in Nashville. You're talking
0: about Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And and um, it's 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 quite more of a feat to set up a stage in the round than it is one of those ones yeah. that they can just now, drive in. And the Garth Brooks show that I went up. to
0: was sort of like that. I was actually on the back end, and it was a really cool. To see it that way, I've also been to a show at the at the, the Skirmerhorn. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that correctly? Because mm-hmm. I've never had, to, never it. heard anybody properly say it. Skirmerhorn. Skimmerhorn. So that's the uh, Symphony Center in Nashville, and
1: I actually named after Daniel Skimmerhorn. Okay, I'm making that up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went to a show there. I've been to two shows there, uh, and the most recent one. Um, me, my wife went to. We actually sat behind the stage there, and there's mm. there's a different name for that orchestral box. Or right, yeah. There's there's some name for that section, um, and it was really cool because not only do you get to see the performance from a different angle, nosebleed. It was up kind of high, but uh, they also let you drink some wine up there. So oh, it
1: makes up for you know, it. Just, <laughs>
0: anyway, it was it was pretty cool, but also you get the perspective of the performer because you can see all the crowd in front of them mm-hmm. so um i didn't really get that in in bridgestone at, at garth brooks show because it was pretty dark there mm-hmm. but in the skirmhorn the the way it was lit i could see the crowd but i, I just haven't been to a, a lot of shows around i don't not that many bands can sell around an arena
1: yeah so yeah. you
0: just don't get that
1: many. well getting back to uh the snm2 um there's a the cunning stunts is a Metallica live concert that I've wore out mm-hmm. grow up watching so many many times and uh, with that was YouTube, also in the yeah, round. That was right. I
0: think that was the first video concert concert video they released that was in the
1: round. Yeah, and that that stage had a lot like bridges and higher and lower areas and it, crazy, and they had a lot of room to walk around. That is one thing about this that they in S m two that we just watched. Um, I noticed right away that oh, awesome! They're in the round, but they're surrounded by a symphony, and right. they uh, they had very little playing room um, right. for that huge arena because they had so many people, quote unquote, on stage. They're really on the floor, but I mean, yeah, and
0: it actually felt like it was down, like almost in a pit. Yeah, because it, it they were a, they were in a central place, but it wasn't up on a stage. Right, it, it was, was raised.
1: Every, the crowd was raised, so yeah. it, they didn't have that much room, but they they utilized it very well they didn't need the room this was again it it brings uh, as heavy and fast as metallica can be this was more of an intimate experience with them i felt yeah um
0: well i think i think you're supposed to have that yeah with the symphony anyway and i love the way that they started it off with the ennio morricone the the good the bad Mm -hmm. and the ugly i may have mispronounced his name i believe it's italian so there's probably some Um, accent there but
1: on, my, on a better day, I could pronounce it. Yeah, but, uh, but obviously
0: uh, that's something Metallica is known ex, for. Ecstasy,
1: ecstasy of gold. The,
0: the Ecstasy of gold. Famously known as being in the movie The Get the Bad. Right, movie. right. But Metallica has also made it famous yeah. for opening all their shows, I mean, for years. Well, like so
1: many people would know that. at this point. So many people would hear that, and they could say, like, oh, that's Metallica's intro song. Yeah. And have no clue that you know it was ever used in a movie
0: so yeah when that uh when that composer uh died they, there was a tribute uh album put out and Metallica recorded the, the band playing cuz they the band doesn't typically play it they just play the track and then they come out on stage for the tribute album Metallica recorded the band playing that theme and so have you heard it mhm so that was really cool to hear the band doing it but obviously they just they want to respect the the original uh recording and they they still use that to this day, as far as I know. So whenever they did when they did S and M the first time, they started off with that and they went right into the call of Tulu and they did the same thing with this. And I feel like the ones that were done before in the original SNM that Michael Kamen uh wrote parts for, that they stayed true to that for the most part.
1: Well, like like I was saying, do you I when we were started it, I said, Do you think that they're using the same sheets that uh, came and used or just and I, I felt like they were pretty much using the same thing except um, there was some parts that they they had more um, instruments in the symphony. They had pulled out all the stops. I, I, I can't think if I was to I can't think of an instrument that I did not see that was out there. I mean there was you know someone playing a triangle. I mean it's there yeah. there was Cato drums out there, uh, a harp.
0: Um, a th- you know, they had a lot bells. Of yeah. Yeah, they had
1: things that the, in the first S&M they didn't have. So that right there, they're going to embellish Michael Kamen's work, you right. know. But you know, why rewrite it? You know, if you're going to do, if the first one was so good, why why go and rewrite it? it just add add to it. And, yeah, that's and, probably yeah, that's, and use the new songs. That,
0: that's, that's probably accurate. Um, the I also think that because of the way it was filmed in the round. I think that you were able to see the see the symphony in a different way. Mm-hmm. So visually I think you were able to look at more of it.
1: Another reason why it's so hard to uh you were talking about how Metallica can blend to a symphony an orchestra um is the way that the instruments are mic'd in a symphony versus the way that they're mic that the band is mic'd. Right.
0: It's in sections. You know,
1: yeah, well, yeah they're they're overhead and uh the instruments aren't mic'd Individually, right. you know, but then Lars, every Tom is mic'd on him. Every guitar is has its own channel, yeah. you know. Instead, you have a, a channel for the strings. You have a channel for the horns, you know. And so, that we're getting into a te- technical side. No, of things, actually, but that, yeah. that
0: that was actually next in my notes that I was making while we were watching. Mm-hmm. It, is that I felt like the sound quality was really good mm-hmm. and a good mix. Now, I mentioned earlier that. The Blu-ray version, which is what we watched, was uh, included a mix and a remastering that the band was involved in doing. And I don't know if it's because of that, because this is the only version I heard. I didn't see the theatrical release. So the the drums, though, man, the drums were mic'd and tuned excellent. They every time he would do a roll, like really in the the first song or two, is really when I was noticing sort of, I was really paying attention to the, the sound engineering and stuff. The drums sounded great. All of them did. Um, and I really feel like the mix was done in a way where you could hear the band, even though all the symphony was going on, but the band wasn't so overpowering that you couldn't enjoy what was getting added to it. So I feel like, that's going to be a really complicated mix to do.
1: It's and, a compromise.
0: And I, yeah, and I feel like they did a good job of mixing that, which could not have been easy. Mm-mm. So I I really appreciate the effort put into that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a compromise because uh, everyone wants to hear Metallica really loud and heavy and hard, but you can't too much because you'll lose the symphony. And there are parts where you know I'm listening to the song and watching them jam out and thinking like. I'm not really hearing this. Oh, now I hear the symphony. No, no, I don't really. Now I am. It just depends on what they're doing. And I think they find the spots to really add um, texture and layers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a complicated thing to do. Now, the first time they went from The Ecstasy of Gold right into Call of Tulu and then
1: then Master of Puppets, which puppets, which I preferred. Uh, Yeah, this
0: time they went straight into "For Whom the Bell Tolls."
1: Yeah, and uh, I didn't, I didn't care for that. that Well, part of it is
0: you're used to hearing that next track, you know. Well,
1: because those three tracks flowed into one another so effortlessly, and "For Whom the Bell Tolls" over "Master Puppets," I'm just, you know, going from a uh, well. You know, "Master
0: Puppets" is going to be in the. In the performance at some point.
1: Right. But going from Cthulhu into Master of Puppets, it was a big moment where Cthulhu's just rising up to a crescendo at the very end. You don't even know where they're gonna do and then they hit come in with that first hit bam, of Master bam, bam, bam. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and that just made everybody go nuts. And that's a great, great moment on that first that first album. Yeah. Yeah. But this was this was still cool though.
0: Yeah. I I. I enjoyed that. And I want to say, too, we talked about the sound, but the visual was really cool. They did a really good job with the lights, and they had the screens around the top, and they had, you know, their their hardwired tour that they were doing had a bunch of TVs and video screens and stuff that would, like, suspend and would, like, uh, I don't know, they would come down from above. Hmm at different times and then they would kind of move up and move around and they did some, some different cool stuff, but I feel like they toned that down a bit, but they still had some of that there. So
1: they had, they had, um, they had a set, uh, unmoving um, they're not teleprompters, but, um. Signage uh, <laughs> uh, effects above the stage that that just held held in one place. They they were they didn't try to they didn't try to make this overly the production. They they didn't have to. They had they had a symphony there, right. so they didn't have to do so much. I mean, they had some lasers and smoke and stuff, but they didn't do like the explosions. No, they there was no pyrotechnics. Yeah, no no. pyrotechnics. But no, the lights were you know, cool. No one and... fell from the c- ceiling, and they tried to stage like something right. going on. You know, they they didn't need to do that. Now they're already Metallica.
0: They had enough screens though uh, above the you know around the top that when they had a song that had some video that accompanied the song. You yeah, would get a, you would get that. pieces of that. You wouldn't get the full the the full screen of it, but you would get little slivers of it. So mm-hmm. you could see that there was some some added stuff for production value. But yeah, the focus was was looking down into what what's sort of the stage.
1: The pit um, Yeah, the hell. pit.
0: Um, and, yeah, with the symphony, and they just, they did a lot with the lights. And
1: I, I really... You know, you're touching on something there. An orchestral pit for a show is usually lowered down below, yeah. and you're looking down into it, if it's something that you're observing in that way. You know. You're talking about in front of a play? Well, in, in front of a show, yeah, down, most of the time. It, it's 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 a, down in front of the It stage. kind of felt like this whole thing was in a pit that you were looking yeah. at. Yeah. They, you don't think of it that way. But they, played, they played up. They played up and out right. rather than straightforward, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, it was good, people. It was a good show.
0: It, it was good. So, one of the ones that stood out to me was The Day That Never Comes. They changed it's one of my favorites. They changed the intro a bit where the symphony opened the, the song. And, uh, and you yeah, know, I don't remember if I've seen a live performance of that.
1: No, I can't think of one.
0: But uh it No, no, I haven't. That's a song that really worked for me Mm -hmm. with the symphony. I mean, in a lot of ways I compare that song to one because it has that longer epic journey to it.
1: It's it's a journey. And it builds
0: into you know, intensity as it goes.
1: I will say something that's pretty important, I think, is uh, that it helps to be it helps to know the songs. When you're, I think you analyzing uh, it with the symphony. Well, yeah. I think if somebody did not had never heard Metallica before and they watched this, they wouldn't get it. I don't think they, they you can't you don't really clearly hear the the band as you would you know uh, a live show because you've got so much else going on. Really, this when you have a band that plays with a symphony, it's for the fans. It's not for the casual metal fan. They may appreciate it but they're not going to get nearly out of it because they're not going to they're not they're not going to hear this stuff we're going to hear it because we know where it is
0: yeah, we know true.
1: where this riff is going to be and what that riff sounds like but if you really step back and think about it you didn't you the, the riff is kind of unintelligible so you're not really hearing that well, same I'll, riff you're hearing something okay. a little different I, you're hearing a, a I would say that it, I would stuff. say it
0: doesn't have the same impact i wouldn't say you, that it's not Clearly there Because I feel like They did a really good job On the audio there But I will say It can get lost If you don't If you don't know Where What you're listening for I'll agree with that And and it reminded me too When you said that I was like You know That first time Both of us saw Metallica Was together in Atlanta And it was in an outdoor Baseball stadium And we were Way far away From the stage And By the time it got to us There was so much echo
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> And just so much Noise from the crowd that if you didn't really know the songs well, you could not have enjoyed that performance.
1: Master, da, 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 master. Da, da.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You kind of get the clap back, like it would, it would bounce off, you know, the back end of the yeah. of the venue, and then like come back at you almost. Yeah,
1: the band would finish before you knew that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, and it's funny because then the crowd is not singing at the same time. Yeah. So that it just no. makes a big mess. No. But I, I will say too, I, m- I made this note that. I really I wrote enjoying how the orchestra is supporting the band more than making its own statement inside the music it's pronounced when it makes sense but then backs off when appropriate and that's kind of something you mentioned earlier that, that they did a good job of knowing when when to support and when to make an impact mm-hmm. um, and I felt that way the first time but I noticed it more this time, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Another one that was new to me for seeing live performance and also new to playing with the symphony was Confusion. And I loved that they chose to do that one because it's one of the ones that I really enjoyed off the Hardwired to Self-Destruct album. Do you have any thoughts about that particular song?
1: I'm not as well, like versed in. I know the singles in that album a lot more, even though I have listened to that album numerous, numerous times. It lands for me is they blend together a lot more than stand out. One song in particular. There's a few from of those that are kind of. Similar, yeah. So yeah. I so when that they started playing, I'm like, okay, good. But I wasn't excited like you are because I I just didn't know it. I'd I'd of I would have rather have heard the singles.
0: Okay. Well, one of the things that.
1: I don't know. We can't think of the names of them right now. But the two, the um, off off the Hardwired right. album, hardwired was the Hardwired. Single. That that would have been really cool to hear.
0: Ah, that one was so brutal. I I think my excitement from that came from more of the fact that it was not a standard in a set from Metallica. Like yeah. they do play it on occasion, but
1: yeah, you like it when they play the weird ones.
0: I I but well, the thing is, is they've already done S and M before, so yeah. if like, they only play the staples. No, no, I, w- I wanted to
1: hear the newer ones. I was just surprised that it wasn't some of the more right stapled newer ones.
0: Okay, you okay. know,
1: like well, um, the
0: the song after that
1: because because we're SM's before you know Saint Anger, um, uh, you know,
0: yeah. Well, after but, they played Confusion, they played Moth in the Flame, so mm-hmm. that was obviously a more known single from that album, and I'm glad I'm glad they did that and. Uh, Forgot to mention, before Confusion, they played The Memory Remains, mm. which is another one that... Uh,
1: Again, they slow down yeah. just slightly to make it heavier. I don't, I don't get heavier.
0: tired of that one like I would think I would. It's, no, you used
1: it's, to. It's, you used to not care for it as much.
0: I think when it was new, I got burned on it.
1: That's got one of the coolest video ideas.
0: The, oh, the man, music, the pendulum the, the kind pendulum of thing? The thing, Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Very cool. That was really awesome.
0: Very cool thing, yeah.
1: So, "Memory Remains" is a great, it's a great song, and yeah. that blend that works really well for the. I'm I'm also thinking of what why they picked those songs, you know, because I, I don't think it was solely. It was probably a discussion between the, you know, the conductor and the production, and Metallica, you know, what's going to blend. I'm sure Lars didn't say well, we're going to do this song, this song, this song, this song. You should learn it. You know, I'm, I'm sure it was like, well, wait a minute, these these blend more with...
0: I read an interview, and they they were talking about how they went through a lot of songs that they decided not to use because it didn't work well. Mm. So they had a list of ones that they wanted to attempt. Right. And then they had to take down the ones that just wasn't working out during rehearsal. That's what I so, figured. Yeah, they, they did have to go with what they thought worked better. But one of the things that I want to give Metallica credit for that I want people to recognize... <laughs> Is that um, there's a lot of bands that have been playing for forty years that are now what I would call heritage status, and uh, well, let's take Aerosmith for example. And I know they're a little bit older, but they're a band that you go and you see, and you could you don't give a shit about something off a new album. You only want to hear the hits. They only play the hits. They don't. They're not out there really. Pushing out new stuff now.
1: They're not really playing stuff yes, off Nine okay. Lives,
0: right? Right. Well, <laughs> and Aerosmith maybe is not a great example because they're not actively doing stuff. But I just meant, um, you know, that that's a band that is known for focusing only on older stuff. So to me, that's that's heritage band status. Metallica is putting out new music, and when they go and they tour, they'll play half of that new album. You know, in their set. Now, of course, their sets are twenty songs deep. You know, they'll play a couple hours. But the fact that they go out and they are still pushing and supporting their new stuff. And I know some people will go to their shows and be like, oh, "I just want to hear, you know, all of Master." I don't give. You know, I don't care about anything beyond the man, blackout. They
1: play Sandman, man. man, man. Yeah. I don't know this stuff. understand, man, there, man.
0: There's plenty of those she, fans out there, right? He
1: can destroy, man.
0: But the fact that Metallica is staying current by putting out new music and actually going out and supporting it on tour, um, I, I respect the hell out of that. And to include it in a special event like S and M two, I just that, that means something to me. They're so still, they're, I just wanna I just still wanted to point that out. Yeah, they're still know?
1: marketing new stuff. You know. Yeah.
0: So anyway, and then of course. The next one we both enjoy the Outlaw Torn.
1: Oh gosh. I'm so That's, glad they
0: did it the first time, but it's, it's one of my favorites. It's one of those that doesn't get touched on very often. And so I'm so happy that they kept it in there because it is an epic piece and worked really good with the symphony.
1: So this is just a great jam song, I think. And
0: then they did No Leaf Clover, which
1: You were really excited I'm, to hear. As
0: soon as as soon as we started this, I was like, Man, I really hope they do No Leaf Clover because um,
1: that was one of two uh, new songs when they right. did the S
0: On the original S and M, they debuted two new songs with the symphony
1: and never played again.
0: And <laughs> they were never released anywhere else in a recorded version. Now,
1: I think they play "No Leaf Clover" no occasionally, Leaf Clover, but never the other ones. What's, it, what's min- it called? It's called
0: "Minus Human." Okay, yeah, you you negative it, human. You never... It was a negative sign, and then human. You never hear it. Yeah, and honestly, I couldn't tell you anything about it because I did not listen to it enough. Mm-hmm. But "No Leaf Clover" not only was it catchy, that was a single. It was a single was. that was put out to promote the SM and yeah. uh, live album. Now that song, we've seen them play at a concert. Mm-hmm. You know, they still play that on occasion, and it's a really great track. it It still sounded good without the symphony. Just hearing them play it, but it's one of those you you always associate with the symphony because. That's the way the single was because it was live and only live. So it was great. They did it again. It basically sounded the same, just awesome.
1: Well, it sounded more percussive, Oh, the extra instruments. One thing
0: we did notice right away is there's the song has a lot of dynamics. So it's soft, and then the band kicks it up, and then it goes back soft again. And during the softer parts, they changed the video to all black and white.
1: Yeah, they did that, and then when
0: it would kick yeah, in, it would go to right. color. Yeah, and it was cool. Uh, you know, Wizard of Oz like.
1: was silver. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it was neat. It was neat that they got they go to monochrome.
0: Yeah, so uh, again, that's that's something that the uh, I don't know if they did that on the video screens at the show. So it may have been something that only watching it recorded you know on video like that that you would that's what they went back and fixed yeah (laughs) (laughs) now i'm assuming that theatrical release had that but yeah um anyway it was a cool thing to do so i appreciated that um then uh let's see halo and fire there's another song that's i feel like had an arrangement that was suited for the orchestral support Mm -hmm. like i feel like that's another one of the new songs that was a good choice to add to it now after Halo on Fire, they had a bit of a intermission, and they did something uh, special just for SNM two. They, the symphony played two pieces that were classical pieces. The first, well,
1: the, the the guy comes out and gives us a little history yeah. lesson first. This we have this really like young. Uh, conductor that's really rocking out with the band is kind of like a, another member of the group and everything. And it's then he's out water. Yeah, yeah he he sits down and this older guy comes out and he looks like a, a, a hip science professor um, and starts telling the audience about Mongolians or something. No, he starts giving the history of I, like this song that they're about to play. I've got the
0: history. I'm going to read it.
1: But it, well, he starts he and I'm thinking these people don't really care. The, the, this audience doesn't care what because it, he's out there. T- what you have, what he says. He's no, like, I don't have any. But it's, uh, it's cool because they were into tattoos. <laughs> he oh. says these people were were. You know, this is a very. This is where symphony and, meta- and uh, uh, metal really fused together. And uh, these were horsemen, and um, they really liked tattoos. I, I'm thinking we suddenly we're on a field trip.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. I think his point there was just to say, hey, the symphony is going to play a piece without the band, and we want to explain why we're going to do that. Yeah, and, we have and, to
1: sell it so you like it.
0: Well, he, he just wanted people to understand that there was a reason, I think. And so what they played was called the Scythian Suite. It was opus number 20. It's an orchestral suite written in 1915. And I don't know if I'm going to say this because it's a Russian name, but Sergei... Sergey. Prokofiev, anyway, I'm not sure, but um, let me see. No, I don't know it. It's a progressive piece. He called it primitivism. Prim, prim, primitivism, primitivism, something like that. So basically, he was saying that for a classical piece, piece, it was brutal. Like they, they felt like it was the most metal of classical stuff. Uh, from that time. I don't know.
1: This guy was Her- so Mr. Rogers-like. He just came out there. and, But I dug it, though, I because I, I, I like that music. I like the, the symphony, and, I, and I, I dug it. It was I, a I, cool
0: like intermission from the heavy heavier stuff with yeah, the band. Yeah, they had to do something. But I also felt like, to me, it came off as an intro for what was to come next.
1: Yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how it felt yeah, to me. Yeah, because we were going next.
0: Okay, well, hold on. The next piece... Was uh, another classical piece called "The Iron Foundry," Opus Nineteen. This was also Soviet, um, Soviet composer Alexander Mosolov. So it was written in nineteen twenty six, twenty seven, right about then. And they considered it futurism. Uh, it was this, monotonous. This, this this other conductor, his name was Michael Tilson Thomas. I wanted to make sure I said that right. And this time they played it with the band. The band came out and they they did some stuff. It was kind of repetitive and it sounded very mechanical and and heavy. I was picturing machinery. You were talking mm-hmm. about marching and
1: it sounded like Nazis marching in a iron factory. It it was monotonous I it, I didn't really enjoy that song that much. It was I didn't feel that the band really needed to it was it was kind of gimmicky. The the band didn't really lend much to it and as we said like it could have it could have been better if they had turned Kirk and James down a little bit. Cause they okay. were just repetitively playing I do, the I same do feel like like the, notes. The,
0: the band could have been maybe a little lower in volume just in the mix for that one piece. Um, they did kind of pull focus a bit, you yeah. know, as far as the volume goes, but I'll say that it was suspenseful and at times even like dissonant. Like it, it had stuff that was kind of clashing purposefully. Um, um, I, for me, I kind of felt like that piece. It kind of fit in in the set in a way. To me, that part was more metal than the Scythian Suite. But I disagree. It wasn't as epic and like going somewhere, right. but it was brutal. Yeah, it didn't go in, anywhere. In my mind.
1: That's why it was brutal. It didn't go anywhere.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, anyway, it was definitely something different for S and M 2. Yes. So, yes. Uh, you know,
1: and different I, for Metallica too.
0: Yeah, so I, you know,
1: and they did kind of, they did kind of showcase it as being uh, something that they were going to play anyway. And then Metallica, the guy said something like, and then the band really wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, so it kind of seemed like they were a second thought, right? Like, but they had to get them out there somehow. Yeah. So
0: well, w- well, what's interesting is right after they do that, where all the members were playing, then they go right into the Unforgiven three. That was where, awesome. Where no. No band members played any instruments, which was very odd. It started off...
1: No no members of Metallica. It was right, all yeah, was yeah. No yeah. band
0: members is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. If you're not familiar with the song Unforgiven 3, um, by the way, it's the third in a series of songs, but we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> they didn't um, just
1: randomly name it, the Unforgiven 3?
0: So the Unforgiven is... Uh, it starts off the original recording starts off with a sort of a piano piece and then it goes into a clean guitar piece and it builds and builds, And it's, it's a very, uh, it's, it's uphill thing. And then you finally get to this, this climax and then it's, it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty wild after that.
1: It's like sex. It's, (laughs) it, it just, it just, you know, it, and that's where it fell flat for me. Uh, because so
0: in this piece, they didn't do it that way.
1: Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. The I symphony that,
0: played the entire song, and James,
1: James did it a, a, an amazing, oh, emotional yeah. vocal. When they were building and build, it, the song builds on its own, and when the lead's supposed to come in, I thought the band, the whole band would come in, but it didn't, and it fell flat at that moment, and that is a credit to James, because he, of he, he really. That's really, really difficult. I mean, for him, who's used to... It's one thing to try to match pitch with distortion and guitars and stuff, but when you're just out there and you have a symphony, your pitch has got to be pretty dead on. And he was really impressively dead on with, with yeah. his pitch. And I made the comment that James himself, his voice, makes this metal. It's, yeah. it, it, it had a metal tone to it just because of him out there. And if the band had crescendoed right there, as soon as like the song came, it it would have just it would have lifted yeah. it off the ground. And except instead, they just kind of they did the lead with with the orchestra, kind of. And it it just it fell flat until James came back in. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Here's here's what I wrote when when this was happening. I said, uh, first time I've ever seen an Unforgiven three performance. I hadn't seen them do yeah. any of it ever. Symphony replaces piano and clean guitar. Uh, in the beginning, good call. Just having James' voice solo with symphony is a testament to his presence. It still sounds metal. That's what you were saying. Then, when the band doesn't come in, it eventually falls flat dynamically. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's supposed to build, 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 and then it felt like it was starting to build. And I thought, okay, here's where the band's coming in. And then I you don't even see the guys on stage. Uh, whenever you know it cuts to a different shot, and I'm like, okay, when's the band coming in? You know, I was waiting for it because for me, the highlight of that song is the end of the bridge where that solo comes in and it really just kind of reaches a peak and the symphony did something like that, but it just did not have the same impact. Maybe because I was so attached to that piece. If, if you went into that, not being a fan of that song or not even knowing that song at all, you actually might've enjoyed that more, but Mm -hmm. that may be an exception to what you said earlier.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a good point.
0: But you you actually questioned too um, the connection between the three, unforgiven songs, and uh, I'll I'll talk about that if you want to.
1: Yeah, well, I was I just uh, off
0: I just think that's a that's an interesting thing to talk about.
1: Yeah, they they have three three unforgiven songs, and they all sound very different to me. They don't have maybe lyrically they have connections, but I don't find a tie musically. Um, it's 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 just like. You know, James has got a lot of um, unforgiven things on his mind. Yeah, <laughs> he, so he needs the, three songs to tell it.
0: The first, the unforgiven, was on the Black album, 1991, and it was a huge. It was one of all the hits. It's uh, it's album. one of their big staples yeah. too. Yeah, yeah and, so and they
1: don't play it as often as you would think. It's they um, as as they should.
0: We we have seen it live at yeah. one of the shows we right. went to, but um, yeah, it's not. It's been replaced with some other things, I think, in the rotation more lately. But I've seen it. It comes and goes. But uh, the sequel song, number Mm -hmm. two, was on Reload, was also a single, but... um,
1: They were all singles except the third.
0: I think you're correct on that. The third one was on um, Death Magnetic, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so... Here's the, the, thing. the album before this. Let's, let's talk about theme-wise first, and then I'll talk about the music part. So in the first one, uh, and I'll, I won't go into lengthy detail, but he's talking about, uh, I dub The Unforgiven, he's talking about another person, right? So he's blaming a person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And for hardships that he's going through. And most people believe he's talking about his father. Hmm. in this song, right? So he's saying his, his father is unforgiven. In the second one Harsh. Yeah, well, there's a lot of history okay, there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, can just, get into. I, I'm just saying. <laughs> um the second one, he's blaming blaming a person. It's there's a lot of people that believe it's he's talking about a relationship, so there's maybe a she involved here. But um And then the
1: third one he's talking about himself.
0: Kinda. Yeah. So when he's talking to don't get ahead of me here. In the second one,
1: forgive me. He's
0: saying uh, you're unforgiven. Forgot too. what
1: show whose show is on.
0: Yeah, you, you're unforgiven <laughs> too. So he's he's talking about somebody else. So he blames he blames a, you know blames maybe his father. Then maybe he's blaming this person he's in a relationship with or or a friendship with or whatever. Uh, it sounds like a relationship. Yeah. If, if I'm breaking it down. Uh, and then the it's third angrier. one, angrier. Yeah. yeah. In the third one, he's finally blaming himself. Like I think like when you get done blaming everybody else and you're still you still have your shit yeah you finally come around to realizing that maybe it's my own fault you know and i think that's sort of a personal journey that the song finally comes to where he's finally blaming himself and he can't decide or he's having trouble forgiving himself
1: it plays to the tone of it yeah as i was saying the second it's a more somber the second the one, one is. the second one's angry is angrier the first one is a little sad, but it's still heavy. And then this, this other yeah. one is more of a personal um, reflection.
0: Yeah. yeah. So what so, I loved uh, musically about, let's the, get deep. about the first one is that, you know, traditionally you have uh, a song when you you go into the chorus, you step it up and it becomes heavier there, right? Or or bigger. In The Unforgiven, you, you start off with this... Um, kind of clean kind of thing. And you've got this melody going. And then when you go into the verse, the distorted guitar kicks in Mm -hmm. and it's heavier. Um, and then when you get to the chorus, it goes back to sort of the beginning of the song where it goes light again. And, um, it's just, it's softer and it's sort of a, you know, backwards in that way. And I always thought that that was cool. It's different, Mm -hmm. right? You go into, um, the Unforgiven 2, and it flips it back. Hmm. So then you have the clean, almost kind of twangy kind of guitar in the verses. And then when it gets to the chorus, you've got these uh, ripping chords going on, right? And the angry. second one? Yeah. The second one's kind angry.
1: of all the way through angry, yeah.
0: Yeah, but the, the verses are really soft in comparison. yeah. <sing> it, it's very turn the page well it, it's about the same time period so yeah you got that but anyway you go into the third one and uh you have this whole long piano and then guitar intro but when it kicks into the verse it goes back to the original setup of um a rock and riff in the verse it's different but it has a similar feel to it and then when you get to the chorus, it goes light again. So I feel like um, they are connected musically in that mm-hmm. way. And I just don't. When you asked about that, I was wondering if you, if you did No,
1: it makes more. That it, yeah, that, it, that's clearer now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I I love that they did that song. I love that James really like killed it with the vocal there. It was a little bit strange for the band not to have kicked in. So that was a little weird, but, um, you know, it went right into, you know, the next song was all within my hands. Now all within my hands has been done acoustically more recently as, uh, it's part of a, they do this, uh, charity foundation called all within my hands foundation. And so they did a EP of like acoustic versions of their songs that sound right. It's a, li- a
1: it's a live concert. It's
0: right. It was an event that they did. Yeah, you know? but I don't a, think it's it's only a handful of songs, right?
1: It's not that long. Yeah, yeah. But so, they they do change up some of theirs some of their songs.
0: So I have not listened to this yet, but so the all within my I hands, have. Mm-hmm. the all within my hands that I know is the original recorded version that was on Saint Anger, and it was really harsh to listen to. Um, just sonically, it was harsh vocally it was harsh. And I mean, that album was kind of that way anyway, but that particular song was one that I've only listened to a couple of times ever because it, it just, it was kind of a hard listen. So I really enjoyed this acoustic style version. Now, of course, this is with the symphony too, but just the changes that were made, I'm not sure how, can you talk on how different it was from
1: I don't really. I'm not as event? familiar with the original okay. as much. Um, no, I don't
0: mean the original, but comparing the symphony one to the uh, acoustic one.
1: They're playing the acoustic one from that show it, with the symphony. Right. So uh, it, was, it was similar as far as what the band. did? It was similar. I'm not sure that uh, Kirk this time he was playing it. He played lead on a twelve string. Yeah. That that was pretty. That was that was Bitchy. pretty. Yeah, it was pretty bitching.
0: <laughs> it was it was awesome. That guitar looked. Really cool too. Yeah,
1: so, uh, yeah, they had some some yeah pulled out some great guitars. There. Yeah,
0: this it was refreshing to hear that. I I enjoyed that. Um, so I, I this made makes me want to go and listen to that.
1: You need to. I'm no, telling you, you need to. That a great, great version of a song from uh, Kill 'em All in there.
0: So after that song was over, uh, there was um, there was an introduction for one of the symphony guys, and they did sort of a tribute piece for Cliff Burton, the original bass player that uh, died in a, a, a bus accident. And 83? three, six. Okay. I think, I think 86. So he was, one of the things that, uh, that he did that was well-known is uh, a bass solo. It was on the first album called Anesthesia. Pulling Teeth? Yeah. And occasionally the band will will do it live, and the bass player will play it. And then there's a part later where the drums come in as well. But it's really just a bass solo. It's full of effects at one point. It gets distorted. I think there's wah in part of it. It it gets uh, pretty wild. And for the bass players that oh, I know, grail. this is like um eruption. You That's know, it's a- it's like the solo that you want to learn. To
1: impress, really impress yeah, to, people. To,
0: yeah. To well, and just to say that, you know, it's something you want to be able to accomplish and say that you can do. And it's it was one of those standout pieces. And, and in
1: uh, and in this, it, they had this guy get up um, with a an upright bass that, and, but he play, He didn't. play... It was play. an
0: electric upright bass. It wasn't. It was, an electric, one, uh, it
1: was an electric upright bass, but he played it with a bow. And typically, you know, they're not played with bows. But he could have gone up there and he could have plucked and played an upright version of Anastasia, which would have been fine. That would have been cool. But he added the Jimmy Page you know, the bow to it. And that, that to play it that way just added so much more to the symphony aspect of it.
0: Yeah, well and, and he And then didn't the drums came in. He didn't play it in the he didn't make a, a a straight cover with it either. Yeah, he played he did it slow a classical at first, interpretation, yeah. so it it uh, it built up, and it it was a really cool and different piece, but also was very recognizable. Yeah. So I, I really felt like they did a a cool thing with that. And then yeah, uh, even had distortion and stuff come in when it was supposed to. The drums, uh, you know, Lars came up and uh, jumped in, and drums came in when they should. It felt kind of Apocalyptica, yeah, in a way, because even though it wasn't a cello, he was playing it with a bow. And then when the drums came in, it sort of just had that feel to it.
1: Apocalyptica is a a band, Norway. Uh, There, it's it's an all cello uh, metal band uh, that got their start by playing um, covers of Metallica songs. Yeah, and we got to see them in Atlanta when we
0: saw them. It was just. They have a full band with with other instruments now, but.
1: Their newer stuff's great. Their drummer's awesome. When we saw. Stands up the whole time.
0: Yeah, we saw them at a little place in Atlanta and they were doing a tour where it was just the four cellos playing the Metallica songs. And we thought that was pretty cool because that's how we discovered them. Well, they
1: had the drummer there
0: too. And then, yeah, after they finished playing that album that they were doing an anniversary tour for. Then a drummer came out and they played additional songs. Orion With live drums and it was awesome. Yeah, That's
1: a track that was missing yeah. from the show that I wish, I wish they'd play with the symphony. It just lends so well. But like you had said while we were watching, they already played Cthulhu, and um, that's a that's an instrumental. And you just figure that they they're not going to do more than one instrumental. But being a symphony show with an orchestra, I don't see why not.
0: Well, if I had my choice, I would have picked Orion over. The Call of Two, just because it, it should get more attention. It's a great, big, epic piece.
1: Orion's my favorite Metallica yeah. song, hands down. Off my favorite Metallica album, Master Puppets. But yeah, that, that still though, the anesthesia thing was really, really cool. And Lars was doing more than, you know, just hanging at the drums. He wasn't taking breaks as much. He was like over there playing on a timpani and... Um, Playing with other members, you know, in the orchestra and jumping around like a monkey, it was fun. He was, he
0: was interacting with people. Yeah. It, was, it was good. Um, so after that, wherever I may roam, that's a staple. It sounded great.
1: And and he played. He the played sitar. an actual
0: sitar, yeah. And
1: uh, well, it was like a converted sitar. It was like a. It was it an electric. electric. Yeah. Yeah. A, it, electric sitar, everybody.
0: But yeah, I hear those are very expensive. So. I
1: didn't know they existed, but all right.
0: Everything well, so that it's triggers. not it's not that uh, it's not that common in this country. It's used in uh, other parts of the world more often. But it's it was a that's a that's always a good song to have in the set. And then um, okay, so then then it was the song one. You know they're going to play it somewhere in the set. What's cool about this performance is they did not play the backing track that usually starts that song with all the. The war sounds, the machine guns, the helicopters, the shouting. Go, 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 go. All that. Instead, they recreated it in a way with the instruments and percussion, uh, including Lars um, hitting on some of the drums and stuff with uh, the percussion guys. So I thought that was a really neat idea, and I appreciate that they changed it a bit. I don't know. Not the... The song itself
1: was the same. The song itself is
0: the same. It's just the intro, but I... I like that they did something a little different there.
1: Almost every song on this uh, concert was kind of, it, you know, you, you took a second to know what the song was. They had, you know, unique little intros that would, you know, or stuff that you hadn't heard before. Um, you know, there was a, even a, one of the songs that Kirk comes out and he doesn't start playing the opening licks. He starts playing something we've never heard before and just kind of goes right into the song. I think most every every song they played had a a unique kind of intro.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think they do that we, some of their like, shows
1: too. Oh, what song is this? Like we got it wrong a few times. We we're like, "Oh, yeah, they're about to play that." No, no, oh no, we're wrong. They're yeah. playing something different. Well,
0: sometimes yeah, it would uh he would play something and I don't know if it was to be funny, he's like, "Uh, maybe I'm going this way and then change it up on you?" <laughs> or if it was just um you know, things that were similar between some of the songs that yeah. we caught the wrong note. But, um, yeah, I really, I think they did a good job with that one. And then um, they went right out of one, right into Master of Puppets. Yeah, no that's delay. pretty
1: epic. Well, and, they had a lot of time. I was going to say, that because when the, the symphony got, when um, um, Mr. Rogers came out, but uh, that, I think, was the second night that was the start of the. Because this was two nights that they did yeah. the show. And I think that was the second night. And they had it open with the orchestra, two orchestra pieces, and then James alone singing Unforgiven to uh, three. Um, they had time to build up to those two heavy songs. You know, I, I noticed that they had quite okay. a bit of time where they weren't, you know, they weren't well, I'm really, really rocking out.
0: I, I, see, I see what you mean. I, I'm not really sure. A lot of times when a band does a, a live album and live recording like this, they'll play uh, a couple of nights, and then they'll take the best parts of each one. So they kind of get more than one take, so to speak. And then sometimes they'll play some of the same songs twice, and some of them will be different. I'm not really sure if it was like the first half was 1-9. So I'm not really sure if they worked it that way. I but think
1: it was because of what they were wearing
0: maybe so and, i wasn't pretty so out. much but
1: lars did come out you were taking notes lars did come out <laughs> and uh say like oh, wel- welcome
0: to night 2 well yeah you know, he, he did mention that at one point so i know that per- that right. particular song was that but the way that they did the uh the cameras and cutting around if they if unless you had something obvious as far as what people were wearing you may not I be able feel to tell. so
1: cheated when i see that crap though if i'm watching a live show and then i'm like okay the guitarist you know is over there and he's playing a strat and then they cut away and everything and then they come back and he's playing like a telly and it's the same song and i'm and, or he, like his shirt changes suddenly and i'm i'm just I'm like, just give me the one performance. Don't give me snippets out of a few yeah. di- for performances, because what I'm watching right now might not be exactly what he's playing. It could be, re- okay, they recorded that song on night yeah. one, and they mixed together night three and four and seven to yeah.
0: try to... Sometimes they'll do it through a whole tour, but usually... Yeah, I you, don't like yeah. that. Yeah. But I mean, do you feel that way in a, in a movie where you, somebody takes off their hat and then it cuts across the room and then the hat's on their head again?
1: That is just somebody not doing their job.
0: Right. That, but, yeah. but does it piss you off when you see it? Do you feel cheated? You were just...
1: <laughs> no, because that's different. I don't know how, I can't link those two together, <laughs> okay. Chris. I don't know how, no, no. To me, they seem. My father like notices those things, all, but that's continuity. Yes. Yeah, and if there's a continuity, there's someone on set who's paid to watch that crap, and it's it's mostly messed up on TV. But that's off topic.
0: Well, I'm just, just
1: yeah, it seems that, yeah similar to me. Well, it, it, it's especially if someone's drinking something, they have to mark where that drink is if they cut back. It's got to be the same. Right. So whenever you are watching a show, or especially TV, happens on Game of Thrones, it all the time when it was on. It, if you watch what they're drinking. um And you can see through the glass, it's going up and down, up and down the whole time back and forth. And it's someone not doing their job and watching that. Yeah. It happens.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway. So they went went from one to Master Puppets, which is as great as you'd expect. Mm -hmm. And then they went almost, it felt like really quickly they went into Nothing Else Matters. I mean, it broke down and they kind of built it up again Mm -hmm. for the symphony. But we're like bang, bang, bang hits, you know. One master puppets. Nothing else matters. I don't have any other notes on that particular song. I think it was pretty much because it's straightforward. It's, it's pretty yeah. similar to the original S and M. I mean, um, it's a gr- it's oh, a, it's a oh, great
1: song, but I just get I get a little tired of hearing it.
0: Yeah, but it's a it also works really well with the symphony the way that it.
1: Was arranged. Oh, oh, of course, it's a yeah. great, it's a fantastic. I love the song. I just I hear it like. So often, like in Kroger or somewhere, yeah. You know? <laughs> okay,
0: so they went from there to the final song, Inner Sandman, obviously has to be in the set somewhere. Um, I'll have to say, I don't remember enough about the details on the original SNM performance of Inner Sandman and if it was changed much, but Inner Sandman is one of those songs that...
1: I don't remember it in the
0: first one. Yeah, it's in there. Okay. Uh, Inner Sandman is one of those that, if I was to ever be sick of a Metallica song, that's the one, right? That's their, I mean, that's the one that...
1: That's their Smells Like Teen Spirit. Phew,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it really kicked open a lot of doors. That's their right? Dream
1: On. That's so, that's their Free Bird. I mean... 2 To... to I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to take that back. It's not their free bird. That's their um, Alabama, Sweet Home Alabama.
0: Okay. Well, the thing is, is you is, know the is, connection I'm, I'm making. Uh, I'm, it's like a Metallica fans not going to say that, but but th- they're going to think Master Puppets. But that's the one that gave them the commercial success. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the one that sure. started that. So you know they don't they don't play a show without playing that one. It's just expected. And but my my point is is that's one as a as a musician, I really don't want to cover that one mm-hmm. because I feel like that's the one that everybody covers. Like that's mm-hmm. the one that people are, it's almost like people don't but get you sick gotta, of it, you gotta but give I do the people, what you know, they,
1: you got to give the people <laughs> what they want to.
0: Yeah. No. I, I mean, if I was in Metallica, I would play it every show. You know, that makes sense. But what if you I,
1: were in Metallica to just play that song, you would still play it. Yeah.
0: In, in this in this video I found inner salmon to be refreshing I don't know why but that's the note right inner salmon even sounds refreshing <laughs> because uh, typically I'm like okay I could do without this one and you know what they didn't do uh seek and destroy which is the other one that I'm kind of tired of seeing live. but um I mean if I'm at a Metallica show I am not complaining if they start playing inner salmon. It is a solid song. It's great live. You expect it. You, you're you're waiting for it. You know what's going to happen. Uh, for them to choose that to end this show is not a surprise. And I got nothing negative to say. I'm just saying I felt like it. There was something about it with the symphony that was refreshing. And I don't know if it was any any different from the first S and I can't remember the first one. The first one ended with battery.
1: That's what's so cool. The first one, it, yeah, ended with it had outlaw torn, and then I think they did inner Sandman and then went into battery. I'm not sure, but yep, they they ended with battery, which was just
0: outlaw torn was. There's still four more songs, but the first one went <laughs> outlaw torn, sad but true, one inner salmon, and then battery. So you're right, it did end with battery, but
1: so they did go from inner salmon right into battery. Yeah, yeah, I thought they would do that again, but they didn't. Yeah. So, they didn't really cover Master Puppets uh, the album as much.
0: Uh, no, they they left out a couple that they did last time. Like
1: they just played Master Puppets. They didn't do Sanitarium.
0: Right. The right. They didn't do the thing that should not be or Battery. Those are the other two that they played the first time. So, um, but I mean, they played a lot of newer stuff. You got to right. think about it too. It's been twenty years. They've yeah. put out, you know, three more albums since then.
1: Well, for everything that we say, they don't play. If they were in the room right now, they'd probably say, Oh man, we've played that so many times yeah. we just haven't heard
0: it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, something else I want to say, a lot of people give Lars shit about playing loose live and cheapening his own parts. And, and there's some truth into some of that, but I've also just want to point out that in certain recorded or televised gigs like this performance, I feel like Lars proves he can still play at a high level, even if it's not his prime self. I feel like when it's a special occasion, he shows up and mm-hmm. and, and gets the job done. I think in uh, there's plenty of live footage out there you can watch where he's a little sloppy and, or he's a little off time or he's changing up his parts and they're a little, a little easier or whatever. And I feel like, I, I don't know if this will come off as... Defending him in a way, but I I just feel like
1: defend him if you want to. Well,
0: no, I I mean, I don't like that. I don't I don't think you should.
1: You don't like defending?
0: No, no, I don't. <laughs> okay, let me let me uh, back up a second. So I think a band when you get to the status of a band like Metallica, you have nothing left to prove. You've you've already done. Um, You've already earned your place in to be able to just do whatever you want. Now, I don't think that you should uh, take that to mean that uh, you don't have to put in the effort. That's what I mean. I'm not defending that in any way. But I also, I, I think there's plenty of drummers that were inspired by Lars that would look at what, and I've heard them say this, friends of mine even, that will look at what he's doing now and say, you know, He doesn't do anything for me anymore. And I think that he's not pushing anything. You know what I mean? I don't think he's um, doing anything that's going to inspire people now. He's already done that. I don't think he feels like he needs to prove anything. So if they are at the top now and are just having fun, I think that's fine. I don't have any issue with that. I don't.
1: Well, they're at the top as much as they can be, but I don't. I don't think that they fall into the prime demographic, you know, as much as they did, as they used. Well, to. times
0: times change, but right. I just mean like uh,
1: so, there's there's some bands out there. I mean, name some name some metal bands right now that are really at the top of the metal scene, and think about their drummers and what they're doing. Oh, I know they're doing incredible yes. stuff that yes. that drummers today are like emulating and looking at right. and learning and everything. The, but, but you can but trace that to Lars, Lars at some point. Yeah, he right? started it all. But, but yes, but... He started it all. Ma- I mean, would you even have uh, Tool's drummer it doing... You know, or... Uh, just, you know, name, name some bands. Or Slipknot, even. You well, know? Yeah, but I mean... Without, without when Metallica's I'm about, influence.
0: When I'm talking about the top, what I mean is they can put out an album and it'll be platinum in two days. They can... They can book a tour and they sell out all the shows. They're on top because they are in demand. That's what I mean. Okay.
1: Metallica's has become an institution in a way that ACDC and a lot of bands, you know, they sell the shirts and kids in high school are wearing their, you know, the shirts from Hot Topic and everything is a fashion thing they may not have even heard metallica before that pisses me off but they don't wear a shirt why why should it piss you off they're 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 so big that just the name alone is a cool thing you know and they can wear that stuff and yeah it's
0: branding but yeah i feel like if you wear a shirt that says the rolling stones but you can't name a single rolling Stones song that's stupid and i'm gonna judge you for it That's well, if you're
1: wearing a shirt that says Superman's logo, I'm not going to shoot you in the chest and no. say, I guess not.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think that's the same. I, I'm just, I'm a little protective of that because I feel like um, that's one of the things that you can connect with somebody on. Oh, you like the same music as me. And it's it's just misleading. Yeah. That's not really a fan. Yeah. That's just somebody who, I mean, maybe they saw it and they're like, oh, that that logo is cool. But I also feel like uh, maybe they should go check it out if they think it's cool. Yeah. You know?
1: They might even know a little bit of it, but Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I mean, there are people that I know have bands that they love that they can't name the songs, but they know them, you know.
1: Well, when I was in high school but, it was very popular to wear uh Grateful Dead's apparel. And they we no one that they didn't listen to Grateful Dead. It was the it was just what they represented, and Metallica they they represent something in particular, and and they they just the plus just have a pretty, really cool logo anyway. They do have a lot of cool art, yeah. yeah.
0: But I just I'm just saying I don't I, I you know, that's
1: at least they're not getting tattoos and they've never yeah. heard it.
0: I uh, I don't know I get a little get a little annoyed with sure. some of those uh, poser fans. Poser. Really they're not. They're not really fans. No. Yeah. No. Huh. Um. Anyway, I'm just saying. As far as as far as the Lars bit goes, I'm just saying he gets a lot of shit from people from drummers, and I get it. There's some live footage online that makes him look awful, and yeah.
1: And there's things that he's done and said that well, makes him look yeah, awful there's th- too.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of things that can be said, but I I'm just saying. Watching uh, a video like this shows that he can still play and, you know, proves that he's the same guy that's earned his place. So
1: No, he's not up there trying to prove he can still play Dire's Eve because he fucking wrote Dire's Eve.
0: Yeah. Well, I've still never seen a a live performance or heard a live performance of Dire's Eve that was played as recorded. Now, Mm. there's some... uh, there's some stuff that was written a long time ago saying that uh, they had trouble playing it live because of the lighting system and it wouldn't trigger right. And But you know what? Technology has improved, so even if that is the truth... It's no longer that sounds like it's a, no longer a
1: thing. Yeah, it sounds like a cop out. Well, that's what they, it sounds they, like. They wrote something that he can't replicate. But
0: that was written in the eighties. So it was all coked knows? up
1: one time. And he was able to get through dire Eve, And oh. they were like, All right, we, we got that track, but can you do it again? Don't worry about that right now. <laughs> we hey. need another track for this album. As we're a, done.
0: As a fan, and you know, because I'm not a drummer maybe, um, I'm still excited when that gets played live, even if he's changed his part. Mm-hmm. So, I, I love that song, and I, I hate that it doesn't get played more. But, uh, in an overview, I'm going to say that uh, this snm 2 was as good as the first one. Uh,
1: I, I thought it was as good. I thought it was better, if not as good.
0: Well, I, I liked the first one was unique because it was the first time they've done that first band of that caliber to put one out that was received like that and they debuted new songs. I mean, there was a bunch of, of cool stuff with it. And and at the time when it came out, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have any new material for a few years. So it was, it was exciting. And, um, but this one had newer songs that couldn't have been included because they, they're more recent. Um, so that was cool. It was cool to see Rob get to be a part of it and enjoy yeah. it, you know. And they didn't
1: showcase him as much as I thought they would.
0: Yeah, there was
1: because they they when he became a new member, they really showcased him a lot on tour. Yeah, and I thought that they would do something, but I was also thinking, um, I wonder what a person who hasn't isn't as familiar with S and M the first one as we are, and this one what their opinion would be of which one was better or if not as good, because we've worn out that first one so much. So,
0: yeah, if you watched uh, them back-to-back new. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting thought. Um, I don't know. I think also, too, this one having some uh, original moments, like doing the classical pieces, having the guy do the bass solo. I mean, I think some of that, you know, uh, changing the intro to one, um, just some of the changes and new things that were original to this particular show. Kind of uh, made it special in a way that
1: you definitely felt the energy. You, you yeah. felt it that was they recorded, were having fun.
0: It was recorded well, having it in the round and the the actual performance element of it uh, definitely <laughs> definitely was cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 It was definitely a great, great concert. Really enjoyed it. i um, looking forward to listening to the album, you know, yeah. more and just really getting in, yeah, getting in depth into everything that's going on there. It'll and now, now I'm curious because you're saying it it actually sounds different. So you're going to get a different experience when you watch this DVD, Blu-ray uh, versus listening to the album, and that's that's intriguing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it may have be a little... also. I think though, if you this is something, if you listen to on headphones, you're going to really get immersed a little yeah. bit more too because the, the setup we had wasn't really uh, surrounding. So um, I am... It was I'm a lot interested. better than some. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to hear it sort of with headphones on and kind of get that full immersion in it. Uh, but it was cool to have the visual and now kind of when I'm listening to it, I can kind of picture that too. Mm. Um, and, and honestly, it was really good to have some some type any type of concert like experience because <laughs> um, 2020s canceled most of uh, I mean I had I had tickets to, I think five different events that right off the top of my head and all of them got postponed or moved I mean the only live music I've seen uh, beyond the first couple months um, have been uh, like single players just hanging out at different places, a restaurant or whatever, just having like a solo act. Yeah. That's, that's about it. I mean, other than stream stuff online. So I'm glad that so many bands are doing live stream shows and special events where, you know, are releasing, you know, recorded concert videos because it's all we have at the moment. <laughs> and I'm glad that bands are still staying active and trying to connect with people. And, you know, this was filmed a year ago. And, you know, we're just now getting to really experience it. But I'm glad we have it now. Well, I it appreciate so it more long. now than I would have it last took, year. So, you know? It took
1: so long between the album release and the Blu-ray. We were, we both made a promise to each other. We're not going to listen to the album until we were able mm-hmm. to watch the concert. So, and it's been out for a little while. For, yeah. For about what it was month like a month or two apart. Yeah. But, um, I mean, what you were saying about, you know, I won't go into this too far, but like 2020 and... What we the future is the future is really bright for media because for for film and for music and everything, because things that were in production have gotten a lot more time to iron out. They've had a lot more time to pay attention to what they're doing and take their time. the you know, they don't they don't have all of these demands of um, when something has to be finished. They they've they've been able to have a, a year and more to really focus on things. So any of those, you know, the bands that are that are writing, or films that are getting made or being written or cast or on hold or whatever, the future looks bright for that. However, it's they're not going to have as much money to do these things as they did before. Um, budgets going to be cut down, but the attention to the art of it is what it excites me because I think that gets lost a lot when it comes to money and deadlines.
0: Well, thanks for, thanks for coming by and, and being patient and uh, doing this together.
1: Absolutely. And Anytime.
0: I, uh, it was great. I mean, I wanted definitely to, to check it out with someone else that's a fan and, and have the history of, of watching their videos and going to their shows together. Um, this was the uh, best way to do it, I think. Really glad that they decided to do a second one. Uh, I don't know that I need them to do more, but.
1: <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see, let's how, see what happens. What albums they release. Um, you know, I'll say, and...
0: too, um, another one of my favorite bands, Alter Bridge, did uh, one a uh, year or two ago. And i um, thinking about going to checking that one out at some point, too.
1: Um, now, would you watch this? Uh, more than listen to the album, would you watch this again?
0: I th- think that
1: because <sighs> as a concert going experience, hmm. like it's a very memorable one. Is it something that I'd pop in um, all the time? If I have the album to listen to, I'll listen to the album. You know, but I, it still was a great experience and and I think it's very much worth watching because when you listen to the album, you'll be remembering those special moments.
0: Okay, yes, yes. Well, and that's similar to what I was thinking uh, to answer your question. Like I want to listen to the album so that I can hear it the best sonically. But whether or not after that, I would choose to revisit it in one versus the other, I can't tell you until I've listened to it because if I feel like I got a lot more out of it uh, sonically, then I may choose to go that route. But I am very glad that I chose to get the visual on the front end because I don't think if I had listened to it, I would have been as excited about watching it. Uh, Watching it was the best way to go on the
1: front. Yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: So um, another little housekeeping note. I'm going to uh, add some clips from from the uh, live album to kind of give a sample um, during the podcast.
1: And if you're listening to this, you heard those. You heard them by now.
0: <laughs> but the um, point is, that is done through a partnership with Host Service Anchor and Spotify. So that means that this episode will probably be exclusive to anchor and Spotify so that I can, uh, with, you know, licensing rules, uh, include more clips uh, of music. And I think that will be a great enhancement to the show. So we will be checking on that and I'll update you going forward if there's, uh, any other big news with that. So anyway, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.